Mackerel Podcast number 120 for May 7th, 2008, sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Macworld Podcast listeners can get a free audiobook now at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. As usual, Macworld has some hot projects going, and we'll cover two of them in this episode. The first is The Rules for Buying a Mac, a feature story by Jonathan Seff and Jason Snell that appears in the June issue of Macworld. Like stories that Macworld has run in the past, this one offers advice for purchasing a new Mac. But unlike those past stories, The Rules for Buying a Mac attempts to bust common Macintosh shopping myths. John Seff and I talk about the story and these myths in our first interview. Following that, I speak with Macworld Lab Director James Galbraith about a Mac that's not a Mac. Specifically, Macworld has acquired a SciStar open computer. This is the budget non-Apple computer that runs the Mac OS. If you're a regular listener of the Macworld podcast, you know that in the last episode, I cast some doubt on the existence of this thing. Turns out that it's the real deal. Macworld ordered one, and Jim and the folks in the lab have been putting it through its paces. We'll see what he has to say about it and whether it measures up to a real Mac. But before we get to those interviews, a little news and commentary. And for that commentary, we'll roll Herb Cain style with a few short items worthy of your attention. The first is that Apple finally reached its goal of a thousand movie rentals for the iTunes store. As you may recall, Apple promised this by the end of February, but because of some foot dragging from the movie industry, it didn't reach that objective until May 3rd. I just took a gander at the iTunes store and found 1,045 titles for rent. Note, however, that among these, there are well over 100 short films, but that still counts because Apple's original press release said, and I quote, iTunes Movie Rentals launches today and will offer 1,000 titles by the end of February. So yeah, it got the release date wrong, but it promised titles only, not full-length movies. Speaking of the iTunes store, those with Apple TVs can now purchase movies directly from that device. In the past, you can rent movies from the Apple TV, but not buy them. New releases go for $15, and older titles cost $10. Purchase movies are offered in standard definition only. You can rent HD movies, but not buy them. When you purchase a movie, it's synced back to your iTunes library when you next sync the Apple TV. At that point, you can play it on your computer as well as copy it to your video-capable iPod or iPhone. And speaking of iPhones, Starbucks has given T-Mobile the boot as the wireless carrier within Starbucks outlets and given AT&T the nod for this instead. The question was what this would mean for iPhone users. And for a few days, it meant free Wi-Fi for those with iPhones activated for AT&T use. You just walked into a compatible Starbucks, fired up Safari on the iPhone, and you were prompted for your phone number. When you entered it, you had access to the wireless network for free. I was in Palm Springs last week and discovered the same free AT&T Wi-Fi service in the Palm Springs airport, though access was deadly slow. Macworld's Dan Morin reported on this last week and has now followed up with a report that the service is no longer available at Starbucks. Neither AT&T nor Starbucks will say why. Now, it's possible it was switched on for a while to test the system, or as Dan suggests, it could be that AT&T figured out that it wouldn't take much work to spoof the network so that you could use it for free from your laptop. Regardless of the reason, free Starbucks Wi-Fi is gone for now. 
Fortunately, just about every coffee shop in my area offers free Wi-Fi to my iPhone as well as a laptop I carry into the establishment. So it's no great loss to me personally. Given that such free Wi-Fi isn't unusual in many areas, my hope is that Starbucks will spend less time worrying about laptop users leeching bandwidth and spend more time working on producing the perfect double-wet cappuccino. And now John, Seth, and I talk about the myths of purchasing the perfect Mac. The June issue of Macworld, available on newsstands now, contains the rules for buying a Mac, a which Mac should you buy sort of story that Macworld prints every couple of years. The difference this time is that the story's authors, Jonathan Seff and Jason Snell, take a different tack. Rather than following the usual advice to buy the most powerful Mac you can afford, they attempt to bust the most common Mac shopping myths. John Seff joins me to discuss the story, and thanks very much for joining me, John. Sure thing, Chris. All right. So this is a totally different story than we've run in the past. Give us an idea of the approach you take in this particular shopping guide. Well, you know, this time around, we're really looking at what some of the popular myths or misconceptions are surrounding purchasing a Mac. Uh, you know, in the past, it was if you do anything where you need power, uh, you know, get a Mac tower and the rest of the line isn't good enough for you. A laptop is fine if you need to travel, but it's not good enough to be your only system. These kind of things that, you know, they, they just don't really hold true anymore with the uh, transition to Intel and the, the chips that are being used in the new Macs and the design. It just doesn't really hold true like it used to. Okay. So what areas uh, are there that new rules still don't apply? For example, a lot of people don't care for the reflective screens on the MacBook and iMac. Yeah, I mean that that's going to be a that's sort of going to be a personal choice there. I mean, performance-wise, uh, a MacBook or an iMac can take care of pretty much everything you would need for for a lot of uses. But that glossy screen can be a problem for some people. And you know, we do we do sort of sum these up in the in the issue, and we say, um, you know, here's what the old rule was, and here's what the new rule is. But there are times when you're still going to want to stick with that old rule because you are looking for something very specific. And if the glare is something that really bothers you, yeah. But at the same time, an iMac or a MacBook, you can connect a very large external monitor. So if you need another display that's not a glossy one, uh, let's say you have a laptop uh, set up at your desk, you can have that other display there that gives you what you want. And then when you go on the road and you take your computer with you, then you have that screen. But you can always have a second monitor. And I think that's an important part of the story. You're not suggesting that you're going to necessarily get a particular Mac, and that's going to be perfect for you. You may want to enhance it in some way. Nor are you suggesting that high-end Macintoshes are not necessary. For example, not everyone is going to want to use Photoshop on a MacBook, for example. No, I mean, you know, we, we say that if you're doing most tasks, even light Photoshop work, if you make your living using Photoshop, you're working with large images that require lots of RAM, lots of power on a daily basis, you're a professional photographer, yeah, maybe a MacBook's not going to be the right thing for you. But for most uh, people, you know, most people are sort of in the middle. Most people do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you can now use a MacBook Pro, for example, to do a lot of that Photoshop work. Um, and that's something you never would have dreamed of using a laptop for in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, what about expandability? Because one of the old myths was 
if you need expandability, you have to get a desk. You have to get a desktop. You have to get a tower because that's the only way to go. Because laptops or iMacs don't offer any kind of expandability other than maybe a couple of ports. Well, yeah, it really depends on how you define it because. A tower system has the classic expandability where you can open it up, get to all the parts, add additional hard drives. It's easy to get to the RAM. You can swap the video card. And for a lot of people, that's been important in the past, but it's been important almost more as a security blanket, as sort of a crutch more than a real use. I've always purchased tower systems in the past, and I was replacing my um, Power Mac G5 recently, and I just bought a new iMac. And one of the reasons is that with the kind of expansion that most people need, you can really get that in an iMac now. Uh, every iMac has FireWire 800, for example. Mm-hmm. So between USB 2, FireWire 400, and FireWire 800, you can connect fast, high-speed uh, peripherals. You can add external hard drives, which in some ways makes more sense than adding other internal storage because it's easy to move around. You know, there, there's some benefits to that. So... It has a built, you know, a lot of these they have a built-in eyesight. You don't have to worry about adding a camera. And so for the most part, getting to the RAM is the most important thing. And every system makes getting to the RAM uh, relatively easy, except for the MacBook Air, which you can't get to it, and the, and the Mac Mini, of course. But so the, the way that we're looking at it in this story is that expansion in the classic sense is really not what most people need. Mm-hmm. If you... You know, if you're uh, editing uncompressed HD video and you need a, a card, a capture card, that's the kind of thing that you need a Mac Pro for because it's, you know, it has the PCIe-X expansion slot or PCIe rather now uh, expansion slot. And it also has the power you're going to need with, uh, you know, the, the multiple, the many, many processors and the faster bus and the, the RAM and all that. But for most people, Apple has built in so much connectivity in terms of ports that you really don't need it. Yeah, and and some industries have changed as well. I mean, certainly if you need a high-end graphics card or a capture card or something like that, that you may have to get a tower for that reason because you are doing high-end video work. But for audio, for example, it used to be, yeah, you had to get an audio card and you had to plunk it in there. But now unless you're using a full-blown Pro Tool system or something like that, there are plenty of audio interfaces now that you either work with FireWire or USB 2 so that you can now do professional audio work without having to have that tower. Right, which is why people can uh, produce music on a laptop, you know, on the road, because all you need is a, a, you know, FireWire interface, for example, and hook up your stuff and you can really do that. So uh, the tower, you know, the tower mentality, I think, is a little bit, uh, it's been in the the culture of Mac users for a long time. But when you really look at it, and I look at my own use, I very rarely, I never changed a video card on any of the tower systems I had. I put more hard drives inside, sure. But for the most part, I've never done any of the things that you would need that kind of expansion for. And I think for the typical user, that's true. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's talk about the MacBook Air. Who's the ideal user for this lightweight laptop? Well, the MacBook Air has some limitations, obviously, and those are those are because of the design. Um, you know, it's great for people to travel a lot because it's the most lightweight um, laptop that Apple's ever made. And if you're carrying your computer around with you on a daily basis, or on the airplane, and you know, schlepping around the airport, 
that difference in weight can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So frequent travelers, I think, uh, could really get a lot out of that. Um, if you, you know, if you just need the lightest laptop, that's going to help a lot. And if you really don't need that high-end performance, you can get away with a MacBook Air. And it's the kind of thing where uh, until you try it, you might not necessarily think that it'll be enough for you. But uh, there are ways of paring down your system to fit on the smaller hard drive and everything. So it really is – it's good for those people that don't have uh, super high-end needs but also need that ultimate portability. Yeah, and I, I I have to say I'm not one of those people. So I, I continue to look at this thing and say it's really pretty. It's nice that it dropped a couple of pounds, and it really is light. So that's that's pretty nice. But um, because I am the kind of kind that uh, gravitates toward the MacBook Pro and, and still towers um, for a couple of reasons, that I, I look at the uh, MacBook Air and I think, nope, not, not for me. And, and it's not for me either. And uh, that's the great thing about this is that, you know, there's there are perfect systems out there for everybody. And we we definitely have some different uses for our, our Macs for our work. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what we demand out of them may be a little bit higher than some other people just in terms of, of if you're using your laptop for uh, doing word processing and for doing your email and for things like that. A MacBook Air can be just fine. If you really need the high-end performance, you need lots of disk space, you frequently use a CD, DVD drive, price is a concern, or if you're a long-haul traveler who needs to have everything on your computer, then the MacBook Air doesn't really fit. Yeah. Okay, so on the other end of the spectrum, how about the Mac Mini? The thing seems pretty long in the tooth. Is it wise for anyone to buy one of those things these days? Uh, personally, no, I wouldn't buy one now because <laughs> well, only because it seems that uh, it's probably likely that Apple's going to be coming out with an update. You think been, so, but you know, it's been out in this current form for a long time. Well, you know, I was thinking the same thing about the iMac. I was sitting yeah. there when my credit card was, was itching to make a purchase, but I was not going to buy that iMac that was out before because I knew someone knew it was coming. Yeah. And it took eight months, but Apple finally did release it and they. They uh, updated it with the Penryn processors. Uh, and one thing to mention is that when we shipped this story, the new iMacs were not out. Mm-hmm. So the print magazine actually talks about the previous round, the first generation of the aluminum iMacs. Mm-hmm. But we are updating the story for online so that you'll have all of the new speed mark scores, our testing scores, and comparison information for the latest Macs because we – we shipped our, our issue, and then Apple goes ahead and releases a new computer. So uh, we can't we can't fix it in print, but online we're paying a lot of attention to it, and I've been working on that a lot to get this updated for online. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, how about that? How about that mini? I mean, for me, I have a mini, and it's really getting to the point where I'm thinking, well, I could give that to my daughter because um, it's it's powerful enough to do what she needs to do with it. But, but she's seven, so you know. Um, Beyond that, I, I don't know. I mean, it, the price is attractive, but like you say, maybe it just makes sense to, to sit and wait on that one. Yeah, at this point I would. I think it's probably likely that Apple's going to be doing an update in the next you know month or two, but you never know. Uh, I have a mini at home that I use as a server, and mm-hmm. it's a great computer for that. And uh, if you were to buy one now, it would probably still be a good server, and the, and the price is such that you're not feeling like you're taking the huge hit if they do come out with something new. But it's a, 
a good bet that when Apple hasn't updated a computer in seven, eight, nine months, that there's probably something coming soon. So my advice is always, if you can wait, wait. But if you need a computer now, you need a computer and you go ahead and buy it and you buy it with no regrets. Right. Now, the, given the fact that you're a, a Macworld editor, you know more about this stuff than nearly everybody on Earth. So is the iMac really kind of the perfect, is, is it really the sweet spot in Apple's lineup now? I think it's a great system. I mean, I, I got sick of having a tower on my floor, a, an ex, you know, a monitor connected to it, uh, just this big, big hulking machine when Apple's done such a beautiful job of integrating everything into that iMac. And I, I went for the, the custom, the built-to-order with 306 3.06 gigahertz processor because mm-hmm. I figure, you know, that will be uh, that will keep it going that much longer. And our tests pretty much have borne that out. When you look at our Speedmark tests, we did test that high-end model, and it matches up against the, the low-end quad-core Mac Pro very well. It's only in the places where the applications can really take advantage of multiple cores that that Mac Pro really shines. But the iMac is such a is a is really a, such a great machine because it can offer you such high performance, but with the screen built in. And I don't mind that glossy screen. Mm-hmm. If I were doing color correction, Photoshop work all day long, maybe it wouldn't be right for me. But for my uses, having that glossy screen doesn't bother me. And that 24 inch screen is such a beautiful, bright screen that it's really just a joy uh, to work with it. And like I said, it has the FireWire 800 for connecting, you know, fast drive for Time Machine, and has all the other ports that uh, I feel like I need at this point. So I think it really is the sweet spot in in the desktop lineup for sure. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about getting a custom configured iMac. I think a lot of people think, "Oh, good, I just have to get a Mac and I'm done." But there are other things that people could benefit by purchasing when they get a Mac or at least upgrading the Mac. What are some of these things that you suggest people get in addition to just getting their Macintosh? Well, I believe a very smart man named Christopher Breen wrote a, a shopping advice uh, part of our story that actually covers a lot of that stuff. So I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I have such a terrible memory that I can't remember a single word I wrote. Uh, actually, one of the things I did suggest is AppleCare. And, um, you know, in the past... I was not a huge fan of AppleCare, particularly when I was using desktop machines uh, like Towers, because invariably, if something was going to blow up, it would blow up in the first year or actually within the first couple of weeks if there was something wrong with it out of the factory. Uh, But now that Macs are coming out with built-in displays, and those displays are so expensive to replace, um, I think AppleCare is an awfully good bet. Yeah, it's like the uh, TV-VCR combos that people used to buy. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if the VCR broke, then uh, you got to throw the whole thing away. You know, it's 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 an all-in-one system, and with uh, on iMac and with laptops where the display is integrated, uh, I do think it's a good idea. I personally, I did not buy Apple Care. I've never bought Apple Care, and maybe that's because I have access to the MacWorld Lab, and if something goes wrong, I can ask somebody uh, who might be able to help, and that's good for me. But for a lot of people. Paying that extra to extend your Apple key, your your warranty, um, I believe it extends it from the one year to three years. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I think it it does serve a purpose because if something goes wrong in that time afterwards, having Apple Care can really save you a bundle. And people are holding on to their computers longer, 
they uh, are such powerful systems now that you can really expect to get, for a typical user, you can expect to get three to five years, at least, I would say, out of a new Mac system. So keeping the uh, warranty up on it can make a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, when you purchase a new Mac, do you also purchase additional RAM? I do not. I always purchase RAM from a third-party vendor for upgrades, mostly because Apple's RAM prices are higher than third parties. Uh, recently, when Apple announced the new iMacs, they also dropped their RAM prices across the board for upgrades. Mm-hmm. Uh, RAM prices have really gone down, and so uh, Apple's customers can take advantage of that. It's currently, I believe, $200 to upgrade from 2 gigabytes of RAM to 4 gigabytes of RAM. A couple of weeks before this, that was four hundred dollars. Yeah. So, Apple's prices are reflecting the market. But I went and bought a four gig RAM update from an online vendor for about one hundred and twenty dollars. So, yeah. I'm saving that money. I just have to install it myself. But as I said, RAM is one of the easiest things to do, and an iMac it's especially easy. Yeah, I, I found that as well. I I think I bought a tower, I guess last year, and I was surprised at the time actually. Apple's RAM prices were competitive. I checked a couple of online outlets. Uh, Crucial, for example, generally has uh, inexpensive RAM. And I was surprised that Apple's price was actually better. It didn't stay better for a long time, but when I placed that order, it was better. So I said, okay, this will be the first time I've ever ever done it, but fine, Apple, you can have my money for this extra RAM. And then, you know, sure enough, two weeks later, Crucial did have a better price, but I wanted everything right then, so that's what I did. Yeah, and I think that you know it's a good way to go about it when you're when you're purchasing a system. Look at what Apple's charging for the RAM. Look at what the market price is for RAM, and see if it's worth it to you. If saving, say, fifty dollars is worth the extra time of ordering it, getting it, installing it yourself, and then once you remove the old RAM, then you have this extra RAM sitting around that you're probably not going to use. So it might be it, it might be worth it to upgrade through Apple, but. Typically, you're going to get better prices if you do it elsewhere. Right. What about hard drives? Do you add a hard drive to your system or just leave it stock? I actually decided to go for a 750 gigabyte hard drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, This particular custom configuration came with, I believe, a 500 gigabyte drive, but that's just not enough anymore. So I did that in advance, whereas with another system... Moving, removing and exchanging the hard drive may be a simpler procedure. With an iMac, it's not something I would recommend most people do. Okay, well, people can read more about this in the Rules for Buying a Mac, which is in this month's issue of Macworld. And as John said, uh, some of the iMac data in there is out of date, but Macworld.com will be publishing the story online in the next few days. And we, we, we also have our new iMac reviews going up, too, so we're going to have all that iMac stuff covered. Terrific. Thanks very much for joining me, John. Sure thing, Chris. And now before Jim Galbraith and I explore the depths of SciStar's Mac clone, a word from our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of digital spoken word entertainment, offering over 40,000 audiobooks for your iPod. Get a free audiobook download when you try the service at www.audiblepodcast.com slash macworld. Check out great titles like I Was at the Second Coming of Steve Jobs with your free audiobook credit. This is a special offer for Macworld Podcast listeners, so to get your free audiobook, visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. Up next, SciStar's Open Computer. 
I'm joined by Macworld Lab Director Jim Galbraith to talk about a recent addition to Macworld's family of computers, the SciStar Open Computer. This Mac clone arrived at the Macworld offices earlier this week, and since then, Jim and crew have been busy putting it through its paces. Thanks very much for being here, Jim. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. So give me the rundown on the specs of this machine. What did it cost and what's in it? Well, let's see. We bought... The, uh, we bought the Open Computer, not the Open Computer Pro. Mm -hmm. uh, we went ahead and got the 2.2 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo processor. It ships with 2 gigabytes of 667 megahertz RAM, a 250 gigabyte SATA 2 hard drive. And uh, we also went ahead and splurged and bought the NVIDIA GeForce 8600 GT. That cost an extra $110, and we got a FireWire card for 50 bucks. Uh, all said and done, it was, uh, oh, plus we had to pay 155 to have SciStar install OS 10, which they recommended strongly that we allow them to do. So, uh, when all said and done, it was $715. We paid for shipping. It was 751. Okay. Now what version of Leopard is it running? 10.5.2. Okay. So, I mean, what's the deal with them having to install Leopard on this rather than you just taking a standard install disk and doing it yourself? Well, they're using uh, they're using some open source stuff, and I'm sure that it's possible to do it on your own. But they refuse or are not figure they're not allowed to give instructions on how to do so. So. He just strongly suggested that we go ahead and do it. I mean, I think it's probably similar to what Rob Griffiths did with his Franken-Mac. Okay, so I've heard reports that this thing is pretty loud. Is that true? Uh, you know, not compared to your average blow dryer. <laughs> well, how about to uh, a, a lawnmower? I mean, where does this sort of fit in the, this is what a computer should sound like, and this is what a blow dryer should sound like? Yeah, it's, it's closer to the blow dryer, possibly. Really? Uh, you know, I did that. You know, the the old wind tunnel, uh, power power max. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Yeah, it's pretty loud. Well, ours was actually super loud the first time we plugged it in because they hadn't routed one of the cables correctly, and it was getting sucked into the fan, and so it did have more of the lawnmower sound when we first started it up. Oh, swell. Yeah, because yeah. I saw you posted a blog entry about this about the unpacking of the thing, and. Um, and I can kind of see why they sell these things as inexpensively as they do. Can, can you talk a little bit about how, what condition the thing was in when you unpacked it? Well, yeah, it wasn't uh, – the packaging itself left a little bit to be desired. I mean it was just kind of sitting in a bunch of packing peanuts. And uh, I think they took it out of the kind of off-the-shelf case that it came in with those two pieces of styrofoam, stuck it in a much larger box, and filled it with packing peanuts. But uh, for a while, we couldn't get the door to shut properly because peanuts had kind of wedged themselves up into uh, some of the drive doors and things. Uh, plus, you know how that's, that those peanuts just stick to everything? Yeah, yeah. It's like that peanut dust kind of sticking to all the little pieces and parts of the computer so we blew it off and tried to dust it off as best we could and you know it looks pretty good now for for what it is yeah yeah because i know there were some reports about it early on that people just sort of doubted that it even existed um and clearly it does but um it seems like they haven't quite refined some of the, the shipping process at this point yeah that you know 
it's it's a lot different than opening up a box coming from Apple, that's for sure. Yeah. So how expandable and upgradable is this thing? It's got six, eight USB ports. I can, it's got a bunch of them. It's got a lot of different uh, – it's got – well, we've got the FireWire card with three FireWire 400 ports. It looks to be two or three, in this case, room for a couple more hard drives. Mm-hmm. And another optical drive. Right. What kind of slots does it have in it? I'm going to open it up. Since it's sitting right here. Sure. Just to make the sound. <laughs> here you have it, ladies okay. and gentlemen, the opening up of a size star right here on the Macworld podcast. There appears to be one open PCI slot now that the uh, now that I bought the FireWire card and right. the NVIDIA card. Mm-hmm. So there's three. Two are occupied. One two, three open hard drive slots, an extra optical drive slot. So uh, it's shipped with one, two gigabyte DIMM, and there's two DIMM slots on the motherboard. Okay. So have you had a chance to uh, do any benchmarking tests on it yet? I've just finished those up and haven't, uh, haven't published them yet, but I'll give you the scoop. Oh, please do. How does it compare to an Apple Mac? It actually performed pretty well. It was uh, it fell right in between the uh, Mac Mini, uh, the high end Mac Mini Core two Duo two gigahertz system, and the uh, low end iMac Core two Duo two point four gigahertz system that just released. It was actually about twenty eight percent faster than the Mac Mini, mm-hmm. um, and about eight percent slower than the new low end iMac. Um, uh, we also looked at it uh, versus uh, Rob Griffith's uh, Franken-Mac, and it was about 4% slower overall than that system, uh, mainly due to its uh, the SciStar's pretty zippy Hitachi DeskStar drive. Now, what kind of provisions has SciStar made for upgrading the operating system? Well, not many. <laughs> the, <clears throat> right now, there's a big – there's a page – full of uh, updates on their website that you go and you they've shut off the um, the software update utility mm-hmm. in OS 10 so you have to go and download and install these things manually from the, the updates that they've tested right um, I thought that uh, you know the system we bought shipped after a lot of these things posted so I thought they may be sending an up-to-date version of the OS, but it wasn't. It was 10.5.2, but uh, all the patches and security things, those things have not been installed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to a tech there today at SciStar, and he said within the next couple of weeks, they're going to have another download on that page that will allow open computer uh, users to use the software update and just go ahead and update you know, I wouldn't be the first person to try it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, let, I'd let some other people try it first. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're saying that if your hard drive dies right now, that send it back and they'll reinstall OS ten on it for you. Okay. Hopefully you've got your own uh, hopefully you've got your own time machine backup or whatever of your files and applications. But uh that's kind of how they're dealing with you getting OS 10 back on your system if you if it were to die. Right, right. Now, what other kind of things don't work on that that you would that you would expect a Mac to do and yet this doesn't? Well, 
when all those kind of PC startup screens start flying by, there seems to be no time that I could find where you could kind of interrupt it and hold down the, you know, hold down, uh, I was trying the T to get into FireWire target disk mode or, mm-hmm. you know, trying to boot into safe mode or any of those kinds of things or zap the PRAM right. uh, or option to find a, another bootable drive. So none of that stuff's really available. Um, Almost everything else just kind of worked well. The, there's a down. There's a download that's supposed to fix Time Machine. Time Machine wasn't working right out of the box, mm-hmm. um, and there seems to be some way to get it to boot off of an external. If you do a, if you do a, you know, a block-to-block clone of the drive, there's supposed to be a way for you to uh, boot that boot from that cloned drive uh, mm-hmm. via FireWire, but it seems like it might be a bit of a convoluted process, uh, and no one's really described it in great detail on their forums, but two people have said, I did it, yay, for me. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like it's going to be possible, and, you know, if SciStar doesn't get shut down, <laughs> then it seems like they're they're planning on, you know, uh, Updating their uh, updating their stuff so that you know it's more and more Mac like with each patch. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think that if they don't get shut down is a real consideration. You may have a collector's item there. Um, so. That that would be okay. I can keep with my B box. Yeah. And- once you finally get it running and and you sort of ignore the whole blow dryer aspect of it, does it feel like you're just working on any other Mac? Yeah, there's you know. Only run it, only we only ran into a couple of things that we couldn't do with it, and uh, you know, if you stick it under your desk, you may just forget that you're not using a Mac. Hmm. Okay, and it doesn't ship with a keyboard or a mouse or anything; just the computer. Just the computer, and you know, the, your copy of OS ten and some ripping cables and things that you, I guess you might need if you're going to up, uh, upgrade your case to you know have more hard drives and things in it. Okay, well, you've written up your first impression of opening the box, and that's now on Macworld.com, and um, I expect you'll be posting your test results soon, as well as uh, other pictures and stories about the SciStar. That is correct. Cool, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thanks very much for joining me, Jim, and uh, I look forward to seeing this thing in person. All right, Chris, talk to you soon. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Macworld Podcast listeners can get a free audiobook now at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. I'd like to thank John Seth, Jim Galbraith, and of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at Macworld.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, Apple TV, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. Thanks for listening. See you.